Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. This morning we talked about some hindrances to experiencing reality when it comes to the things of God, the blessings of God, and statements of fact from God's Word. We talk about tonight maybe some help, some things that will help us to experience reality with God concerning His promises and statements of fact. So if you'll find Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, and if we'll pray, we'll get started. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. Father, we bless you. And here we are in your presence once again to study your Word together, to pour over your truth. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness as an act of our will. We choose to be attentive. We will not be distracted. And we will learn. And we will know. And we will grow. And we will be changed from glory into glory. And the Word will be quickened within our hearts and become a living thing within us to govern our lives and our lifestyles. We thank you, dear Father God, for these blessed truths. And I thank you now for utterance to boldly proclaim this truth in the power of the Spirit that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men or human philosophy, but in the Word of the living God, the power of God, and the resurrected Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We said that a promise is a declaration that gives the person to whom it is made the right to expect or to claim a performance or forbearance of a specified act. That's what it is. That's what a promise is. In other words, to put it in simple terms, if you will do this, then I will do that. Isn't that easy enough? That's what a promise is. is. If you will do this, then I will do that. And it's not arrogance to expect God to do what He said He would do if we meet the conditions to the promise. Can you say amen to that? See, some think when you teach along these lines of faith that that is an attitude of arrogance. No. If I tell my son to do something, and if he does, I'll reward him by doing this. Once he gets done meeting the conditions... It is his right to come to me and expect me to perform or to come to me and to claim what belongs to him. Isn't that true? So for him to come to me and say, Daddy, you said you'd do this if I would do that, and I did it. Now are you going to do what you said do? Yes, I'll do what I said I would do. I will do that, son. That means I'm a person of integrity and I've kept my word. So that's not arrogance him coming to me. And claiming what's rightfully his, is it? Am I obligated to perform? If I'm a person of integrity, I am. See, it's his right to claim the performance of that specified act. Why? He met the conditions. And we said that a promise can be conditional or unconditional. Conditional means there's something we have to do. Unconditional means there's nothing we can do. But we also stated there are 1,522 ifs in the Bible, most of which speaks about or expresses the conditions upon which God will bless man. There's not one unconditional promise in the Bible. There are statements of fact that says God has provided us certain things, but those are not promises. Those are statements of fact. Jesus bore our sicknesses. Jesus bore our sins. Those are facts. But to to, to experience the promise in reality, there's an if in there. If you confess your sin, see, if you confess Jesus as Lord, if ye abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will, it shall be done. All those ifs show that there are conditional blessings based upon our obedience to the conditions. We said also that a fact is something that is done, something that has been performed. It is a performance. It is an act. It is a reality. It is a truth, a statement of 
fact. I have given you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. A fact. I have given that to you. That's what he told his disciples, and they operated in that fact. It was not a blessing. It was a fact. It was not a promise, rather. It was a fact. He says, I have given you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. That was a fact. That's what he gave them. It's like you walking into your room, or your daughter's room, or your son's room, putting $5 down on the dresser and saying, there, this $5 is for you. I want you to do with it as you so please. Put it in a bank if you want to, or if you want to buy yourself something, it's a fact. But I place it there on your dresser. It's yours. Not based on your performance, not based on your behavior, not based on anything that you've done. I've just placed it there. It is yours. That's a fact. No conditions attached to it. So do we see the difference? So you see, when we see the scripture that says, with his stripes, you were healed. As far as heaven is concerned, that is a statement of fact. God sees it that way. With his stripes, we were healed is a statement of fact. Something that has been done already. A performance, a reality, a truth. What we're wanting to do is to experience that truth in reality in this realm in which we live. To experience that fact from God's Word in our lives as being a reality. We want to say that there are hindrances that prevent us from experiencing these truths or these facts, or these promises in reality in our lives. We said number one was a lack of knowledge. If we don't have the knowledge of God, then it's obvious that we cannot experience what we have no knowledge of. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. Once we gain the knowledge of God, then we can operate in the principles of God's Word and begin to experience the blessings of God. Another hindrance we said was, after not having the knowledge of God, is unpersuadableness. Cannot be persuaded to act upon the knowledge that we've received. If we can't be persuaded to act upon it, then since faith demands action, we won't receive or experience in reality the blessing. We went on to say that even though you have obtained a knowledge of God and you're persuaded to act upon the Word of God, if you're lacking in the area of patience, then you'll short-circuit the power of God through distractions and then there won't be anything that will come into fruition. In other words, no experience reality in this realm of life. And this is how the enemy works. Number one, to keep you away from the knowledge of God. But if you get the knowledge of God and gain it, then number two is to see to it you're not persuaded to act upon it. If you gain it and then you begin to act upon it, he'll see to it that you're impatient, not stable, that you change with the circumstances and are distracted from it so that it will not bear fruit. Amen. See, that's how he operates. If he he has to give up a little ground, he'll give it up. Only because he has to, because we've learned, you know, obtained the knowledge of God. And then the fourth thing we said that is a, a major hindrance to experiencing reality when it comes to the promises and the blessings of God is... Disobedience. Willful disobedience. Not walking in obedience or rejecting truth. And in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, we're going to turn the whole thing around and see it from a positive perspective now. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. In other words, if we want to eat good when it comes to the things of God, we have to be, first of all, willing and obedient. So, number one, if we want to experience reality with God when it comes to having the blessings of God realized in our lives and the statements of fact realized in our lives, then we must, number one, make the quality decision to be willful and obedient children of the Most High God. In other words, I make the decision to be a willful, obedient child of God. And it's important that we see that we must be both willing and obedient. One can be willing to do something, but then not obedient. Lord, I've set out to do your will. I desire to do your will. It's my longing and yearning desire to do your will. I'm a willing vessel. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. 
and something comes up and something happens and he needs you right then to go do something. And you say, I'm a willing vessel, Lord. Just send me. Okay, I want you to go up over here to the hospital and I want you to see so-and-so and and I want you to share some of these truths. Well, now, Lord, you know, I've, I've, I've got this other thing I've got to get done here. See, you are willing, but not obedient. Now, the thing wasn't a priority or he would have never asked you to do it. Think he has common sense and he knows your your schedule also. But sometimes we just make excuses and we don't go and do the things that he asks us to do, even though we tell him that we're willing. Well, I'm willing to do it, but they're not obedient to do it. Then on the other hand, sometimes we can be this way. We can be obedient and do it, but not willing when we do do it. See, willingness is an attitude of the heart. Well, you found in the scriptures that we are to give from our hearts what belongs unto the Lord. And so you begin to give the Lord of your tithes and of your offerings. But you do it out of obedience when in reality from the heart you're not willing to do it. I don't really want to be doing this. But since the Bible says that I have to do it, I guess I have to do it. See, that's an unwilling heart. And if our heart is unwilling, although we do it in obedience, we're still not meeting the conditions, are we? No, we must be both willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. I must want to do it from my heart. And then I must obey and do it from my heart. All that I do, I do from my heart because I serve the Lord from my heart. So if I am going to experience the blessings of God in my life, then I must be obedient to do what He would have me to do. And I must be willing to from the heart to do it. Now turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 in verse 1. How many believe that you're the head, not the tail? And that you're above and not beneath? And you're blessed coming in, going out, city field, basket and store. All that you set your hand to do will prosper. And no weapon form against you will prosper. You believe that? I believe that. But I want you to notice something here. It's easy for us to quote that part of the Scripture, but ignore the condition or the conditions set forth in Scripture that allows these blessings to come upon our lives. Look at verse 1. It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. These blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Notice all these blessings are based on conditions. And these are the conditions, if you will. If you will. If you will. See, we can say, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Just because we're quoting the Scripture. And making a positive faith confession. But, beloved, unless we are meeting the condition, He is not required to see to it that those blessings come upon us and overtake us. It's only as we are hearkening unto the voice of the Lord our God. It's only as we are observing to do His commandments. It's only as we are refusing to walk away from the commandment of the Lord to the right or to the left. And refusing to pursue after other gods. If we will do all those things, then He said, These blessings will come upon your household. They'll come upon you, your family, your household. You'll rest in the blessings of God. So these are the promised blessings of the Lord given unto those who do what? Who obey His commandments, who observe to do them all. To those that hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord, their God. See, it's based on certain conditions. So if we want these blessings to come upon us and if we want them to overtake us, it is not just a faith confession that we make. And believe me, beloved, I want to reemphasize once again the very fact that when we teach about faith and confession and how it works to make a highway for God to move in our lives, 
so that we can experience reality within our lives. By no means are we saying that a faith confession is to override disobedience and unwillingness of heart. We can confess for an eternity that these blessings are ours. And if we're walking in disobedience to the will of God, they're not going to come upon us and overtake us. Our confession was never designed to take the place of willful obedience, is what I'm saying. And our confession of faith also is not an escape mechanism. Something that we use knowing that, well, if I don't do the will of God, I'll just confess my way out of it. I'm going to tell you something right now. You've never missed a mark probably, so I'll talk about me. I've missed a mark a few times. Have you ever missed a mark? I missed a, missed a mark by purchasing a car one time. You've never missed a mark per, purchasing a car one time. Every car you bought was perfect. You never got a lemon, did you? Well, I missed the mark purchasing a car one time. And you know what? My faith confession wasn't going to bail me out. Something I need to emphasize once again. There are certain things that we can do. And yes, we'll get immediate forgiveness for. But you know what? Your circumstances won't change. You can cause some irreparable damage to your financial condition if you miss the mark in some areas. Did you know that? If you don't hearken to the voice of the Lord concerning what He would tell you to do in certain areas, that is an act of disobedience. Do you know what happens? You're going to have to suffer that thing through. I know some say, well, I thought we believe in faith. We do believe in faith. But I'll tell you what, a good word to insert there for faith is obedience. Our faith was never designed by God to to be an escape mechanism so that we could go off and not listen to the Lord and then use it to change that. No. And I had to suffer through that thing. I'll tell you what, you know, thank God that you're going to make it through it. But it would be a whole lot better to obey God. It would have been a whole lot better, a whole lot easier financially to obey God and not to have done it. You ever been there before? Absolutely. There are certain things we can do. You see, when it comes to the area of disobedience, if we don't obey the commandment of the Lord, that can cause irreparable damage in relationships, social relationships, talking about marital relationships, and people have done that. Unless the, the, the parties are willing to come together and do what is right to, to, to see to it that things can be worked out, there are things that can be done. And in some cases, God will tell you, don't marry that person. And you'll just go ahead and, you know, think that was the devil or something and, or whatever, and, and you go ahead and marry the person. Yet God told you from the beginning, and in, in many cases, you knew down here on the inside, God told you not to marry that person, but you went ahead and did it anyhow. And now He can't protect you from some certain things. It's a struggle for you to serve Him. Year after year after year after year after year after year. And then you're looking for some escape mechanism. Looking for some way, you know, to bypass all this. But it doesn't exist. It's not there. I like to say it this way. It's like Paul. When they got out there on that boat, they wouldn't listen to Paul. They disobeyed. They suffered many things they would have never suffered had they listened. Isn't that so? When you get out of the plan of God and you get on the boat out there of sense knowledge and begin to do your own thing, the storm comes. They suffered a lot of, a lot of damage and great loss and harm and all that they, that they would have never suffered. God could have prevented all that through obedience. Then some, some, some people say, well, I thought, my goodness, we're Christians, we're believers, we're faith people, we believe in the Word of God, and the Word of God should override everything. No, your faith is never designed to be used that way, neither is mine. God wants us first and foremost, and make note of it, willing and obedient vessels. And our faith confession will build us up in the faith and cause us to be even that much more obedient. And our faith will always work as we are obedient to walk in light of the will of God for our lives. Now, I want you to see something here, and I'll show you that these curses can come upon a person who's disobedient. So if we want the blessings of God in reality, when it comes to the promises of God and statements of fact, what are we first and foremost to be in our lives? Willing and obedient children of the Most High God. Make a decision that I am a willing, obedient child of God. I will to do the will of God from my heart, and I will be obedient to respond according to it, as I am so led and directed by His Spirit.
or through the Word. Verse 15. It shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all His commandments, to stay, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Curse. Now notice this. This is also a promise. Did you know that? Mark it down in your Bible. This is a promise. And if we want to experience cursing in our lives, all we have to do is meet the conditions. Anybody here want to have some cursing in your life? Come on now, are you, are you one that wants to have cursing in your life? If you want cursing, all you've got to do is meet the conditions. What are the conditions? Well, just don't hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Don't observe to do all of His commandments that He commands you. And if you don't do that, you'll be guaranteed that all these cursings will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shalt thou be in, in the city. Cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store, the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land. And the increase of thy kind and flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou come in when you go out. Cursed shalt thou be when you... All these different things. Look at verse 27. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. And this is something very important because I, I, I alluded to that this morning. When a person chooses to walk out of the will of God for whatever reason and leaves the realm of grace, the umbrella protection that God has over his life, willfully choosing to walk away. You realize you're opening up yourself to some tragedies that can come? And if they come, there are some cases where there's irreparable damage to your physical condition. And we said about the fella who, who married this woman and should have never done it, but he did it anyhow. When they had marital problems, he did something else he shouldn't have done. He went out and got drunk. He did something else he shouldn't have done. He drove a car. And then he got in an accident. And then he lost his leg. And when he lost his leg through amputation because of the damage that was done, because he was out of the grace of God, out of the will of God, he repented. I should have never done it. I agree. He should have never done it. But you know what? Was he forgiven? Yes. God forgive him. God restore him. Yes. What about his leg? What about his leg? See, it's not restored. It's not recreated. It's not going to be healed. It's not a matter of healing. It's a matter of a creative miracle. What about David when he sinned with Bathsheba because he obeyed not in the voice of the Lord? Was he going to make a confession and confess his way into victory? No, a judgment was pronounced because God expected him to walk in his ways and keep his statutes and judgments. His confession wasn't going to do anything. What he did, he did. What he sowed, he sowed. And what he was reaping, he was reaping as an act of judgment because he obeyed not the commandment of the Lord. There wasn't anything he could have done to save that child's life. Irreparable damage came to hit that, that life also, his life and his family. And tragedy right on down through the following years in his home. Well, he just didn't understand faith and confession. Had nothing to do with it. God is obligated to do what? To honor his word. And if he said curses will come upon you for doing such and such, then they will. Because he's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. He's not a man to lie or some man should repent. He'll do it. If he said he'll do it, if he spoke, he'll make it good. And that includes the cursing as well as the blessing. Look at verses 58 through 61. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear the glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues of long continuance and sore sicknesses and long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee also every sickness and every plague not written in this book of this law. Then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. We see here then, that if we want to experience the blessings of God in reality and avoid the curses, then we must meet the conditions set forth in the Scripture. You say, but that's all Old Testament. Well, let's look to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And this is His commandment. This is His commandment. This is His commandment. Verses 22 and 23. 
And whatsoever we ask or receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Notice in both of those verses talks about the commandment of the Lord. The love commandment fulfills the Mosaic law. It includes everything he told them back there. It is a fulfillment of that law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy might, with all thy soul, and and you'll not have any false gods before me. It includes thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It includes children, honor your parents. It's the first commandment with promise. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness. Now notice this. Whatsoever we ask, receive of him because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another even as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. So in other words, if we see to it that we will keep His commandments and walk in His statutes and observe all that He has told us to do, then He is responsible to see to it that whatever we ask of Him is realized in our lives. If we are not keeping His commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in His sight, then He is not responsible or obligated to see to it that these things, these promises are realized in our lives. Something I think is pretty basic But I guess many have failed to recognize or understand or have overlooked for whatever reason. I think it should be obvious to all of us that God expects us to walk in holiness. It should be obvious to all of us that we cannot walk out of the will of God and expect to be blessed. Or leave His umbrella of protection and expect to be blessed. It should be obvious to all of us that He expects us to be responsible when it comes to walking in the light of His Word. So, number one, make the quality decision to do what? To be a willful, obedient child of God. Number two, 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. Here the Apostle Paul is writing, giving instruction. And he reveals the will of God in the Scripture. Who will have all men to be saved... And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Secondly, if we're going to experience the full blessings of God, we must be a diligent student of the Word. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. Well, what's the cure for that? What's the remedy for that? Simple. Be a diligent student of the Word of God. Be an activist when it comes to pursuing truth. I will involve myself, my life, and set forth my cause, my place in life. I'll expend all the energies of my life for what purpose? To discover truth as it is revealed in God's holy scriptures as pertaining to my life. He wants me saved, I am saved, but he also now wants me to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the enemy will do his best to see to it that we don't obtain truth. If we don't know the blessing of God... How are we going to claim it? If I never told my son, wash the car, I'll give you $5. If you wash the car, I will give you $5. If he didn't hear me say that and didn't know I said that, he would never thought to go out there and wash the car because of the blessing of $5. But since he heard me say that, I declared it, he heard it, he acted upon that and had a right to come and claim it. How can I claim something I don't know that belongs to me? I must use diligence to find out all the blessings of God. And there are thousands of them in the Bible. All the blessings and find out what the conditions are and then then set out to see to it that I meet the conditions so that I can experience the blessings. And if we will do that, then of course, we're putting ourselves in a position that He can bless us and cause these things to come into a reality in our lives. What areas? Number one, learn about God's will for your life. The Bible teaches us that godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, just get a hold of that. What promise is that, Lord? Well, there isn't anybody who lived this life, who gave up this life to 
follow me, to follow my plan, to pursue my will, and to live in my will, follow kingdom principles, who has suffered loss of all these things for my sake and the gospel's sake, who will not in this life receive a hundredfold. Didn't Jesus say that? You know what? If you meet that, those conditions, you have a right to claim the promise. Did you know that? He told me that if I, would, if I would give up all to pursue the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that you would provide for me what is necessary in this realm of life. A hundredfold. That's what you said. And so, Father, I'm meeting the conditions. It has the promise of this life and of that which is to come. So, you see, if we, if we will do that, then we have a right to claim the benefit or the promise of God. But if we choose not to do that, and, and he says there are certain things I want you to do, you know, as an act of my will to pursue my kingdom and its operation in your life and don't do it, we have no right then to claim the hundredfold. And when there was a teaching talking about, go around about the hundredfold blessing of God and just hundredfold blessing and giving and all that. And I mean, thank God. I mean, I, I believe the whole counsel of God. But beloved, it wasn't just for anyone. It was for those who chose to meet the conditions. Do you see that? It was for those who chose to meet the conditions. There were those claiming a hundredfold on everything that they did. They, they, you know, if they gave a dollar, they won hundred dollars back. But did they meet the conditions? Were they meeting the conditions? Were their motives right? Were their heart attitudes right? See, all this is a matter of the heart. The will is a matter of the heart. Out of your spirit, man. The will of God, doing it from the heart. Learn God's will for your life. Mark down these things real quickly if you can. You can take the scriptures and look them up for yourself if you want to. I'm not going to take time to turn to them all. What does he want me to do? Number one, present your body to him to do his will. Your body and faculty members. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you'll do that, you'll prove the good, perfect, acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the promise. Also, number two, he wants you to unite with the Bible-believing church and Bible-teaching church. Hebrews 10, 25. Come to the knowledge of the truth and begin to walk in the light of His, His commandment, His will for your life. This involves His will for your life. Unite with Bible believers. Go into a Bible-believing church. Teaches the Word of God and fellowship together. Number three, be baptized in water and observe the Lord's Supper. Be baptized in water and observe the Lord's Supper. Galatians 3.27 and 1 Corinthians 11.26. Be baptized in water, observe the Lord's Supper. All this is going to produce confidence inside your heart. We'll see that in a minute. But all this involves the will of God. Be one who is given to the study of God's Word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what's the promise? Ask what you will, shall be done unto you. All this is a part of truth. It's gaining the knowledge of the truth. Next, he wants us to grow in knowledge. 2 Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. He wants us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge he's talking about. If we don't do it, we won't know statements of fact from God's word that belong to us. We won't know our rights and privileges and the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. All that belongs to us if we don't pursue that truth. If we don't pursue that knowledge, we won't have it. And if we don't have it, if we're ignorant of it, we're not going to be able to walk in light of it. Next. Live a life of prayer and thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6, 4 and 6. You can read right on through 4 through 8 if you wanted to. Live a life of prayer and thanksgiving. That's what He expects of us. That's what He wants from us. Prayer means communication with Him. Communicating with Him on a day-by-day basis. And have a heart full of thanksgiving. How important is it to have a heart of thanksgiving? The Bible says, Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyful gladness and joyfulness of heart in the abundance of all things. Look at that. Having a joyful, glad heart before God means there will be an abundance of all things in our lives. That's what it means. Put it on that promised basis. If you serve me with a joyful, glad heart, you'll experience the abundance of all things in your life. If not, you'll serve your enemy in want of all things. In want, in lack, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in peril, and all this. So it's important to lead a life of prayer and thanksgiving. Next, very important, make note of it. You're to be one who stimulates others to good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. You stimulate others to, to walk in love and do good things and the good works. All these are meeting the conditions that open the door, that will open the door to blessing. 
How do you know that? Because he said it. All this pertains to the life that we are living here upon this earth. Another thing. Be a good steward of your finances. The things that God has given you in this realm of life. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Next, use your time wisely upon the earth. Ephesians 5, 16. Next, apply divine standards to family life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through 25. Apply divine standards to family life. If we will do that, we will be blessed and our families will be blessed upon the earth. Again, we cannot ignore divine principles when it comes to family life and then expect that every time a tragedy comes or a problem arises, that we're going to use this escape mechanism called faith and confession and bail ourselves out. Or get ourselves out of the difficulty. No, beloved. We've got to realize that God expects us to align ourselves with His divine principles. His instructional teaching from His Word. He expects our families to live according to divine principles. We are to apply them to family life. And then we can expect the blessings to fall upon us. See, it's really not a matter of struggling for faith then, is it? It's a matter of just being obedient to do what he said do. Someone asked me, oh, about seven, seven years ago, how is it, what, what do you c- contribute to your success that, that you experience in God, you know, this short time that you've been saved? And I just looked at him, I just, to be quite frank about it, I've just always done everything he said to do. You know, are you some great man of faith or, or no, I've, I've just done what he said to do. I'll be quite frank about it. I, I guess I must have just learned the simplicity of this message at an early age, in, in my spiritual age. Because I was just one that would say, well, God said do this and He'd do that. So I did, I did what He said. Let me show that to you while we're, while we're on this. Go to Psalms 128. Psalms 128. Apply divine standards to family life. Psalms 128. And I'll show you this. Someone thought, you must have had great faith. Great faith. Well, we can call it what we want, but... When my wife was unable to have children, we were unable to have children. And I didn't know this promise was in the Bible. See, ignorance, lack of knowledge. What does it do? I I couldn't act on something I didn't know about. I didn't know what the will of God was in the matter. And and the brother of the Lord showed me this psalm. I began to read it. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. I said, that's me. That walketh in his ways. I said, that's me. You're going to eat the labor of your hands. I said, hallelujah, that's me. Happy shalt thou be. And I was really happy. I just got saved. You talk about happy. Oh, man, it was a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It'll be well with thee. And I said, all's well with me. We're applying divine principles to our family life. Living in the realm of faith. Loving God. Going to church. Paying our tithes. Doing everything He asked of us. Required of us. Giving. Even out of need if we had to. Didn't matter. We just gave. We love to give. We love to bless people and all that. We're just loving each other in the Lord. And, and life was better. Everything was great. Every, life was better. Everything was great. Everything was better that we saw. Thankful that we had a child, one child. But look at verse 3. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like all the plants round about thy table. I said, that's not me. But you see, it triggered something off on the inside of me that said this. Well, if I'm blessed because I fear you and all those other things pertain to me and they are, you know, me, they represent me. I am blessed in all those ways. I see one thing lacking here, Lord. My wife's not a fruitful vine. But you see, because I knew I was walking in his will for my life, applying divine principles, I can just say, now, Father, you said that. It's your responsibility to make it good. You said that right there. My wife shall be a fruitful vine. And she's not. So right now, I'm saying that she is because it's a blessing that's mine. I claim it. Why did I claim it? I fear the Lord. Make note of those things. I fear the Lord, number one. Why? Can I claim it? I walked in His ways. I was walking in His ways. Do you see that? This is how the man is blessed that fears the Lord. Well, I fear you, Lord. I'm walking in your ways. And you said right there, my wife would be a fruitful vine. And she's not. So I claim that right now. That's the benefit. See, that's the promise that you made me. 
I meet the conditions, so it's mine. I take it and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Went home and laid my hands on her. You know the story. But do you see that, how simple that is? It was a matter of obedience is what it was. We think this faith is being some mystical thing way out there. You know, something that you've got to really muster up or whatever. My brother and sister, it's a matter of fact. That it's a matter of knowing that I was walking in the fear of God and also walking in the ways of God. And because I was doing that, I had a right to claim the benefit of God. And when I did it, God responded. Next. This one should really get us. He expects us to work. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He expects us to work. If we want to be blessed, we have to work. Did you know that? Someone will confess their faith. Just go off and confess it. Hallelujah. I believe I received $1,000 to pay my bills. Hallelujah. When I went down there at Rainbow Bible Training Center, I had, well, we had all kinds like that. They thought, don't have to work. Glory to God. I'm a Bible student, you know. I go to Rama. Oh, you do? You have your Rama card on you? Yeah. Try paying your bill with it. Stick it out there, that plastic little thing that says you're a Rama student. Stick it out there and pay your bill with it. See if they accept it. It's not MasterCard, you know. That's right. Man, we're so big in faith. We're here, but Brother Hagen, we're so big in faith. We shouldn't even work. Showed just how much they knew about the Word of God. Those fellows either dropped out of school or they left Tulsa. You know how they left Tulsa? Owing J.C. Penney, Sears, and wherever they stayed at, they owed four or five months back rent. Never paid their rent. And then left a bad name for Rhema Bible Training Center. We believe God. The bank doesn't want to see your faith, wants to see green stuff called money. J.C. Penney doesn't want to see your faith. They want to see green stuff called money. And if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. He's violating the plan of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. So how can God bless him and honor his, I believe I receive $1,000. I believe I receive $1,000 to pay my bills this month. Why don't you get a job? Did you hear that? Get yourself a job. Start walking in obedience to the plan of God, the will of God, the principles of God's word. And then you know what? When you were doing all that you knew to do and could do, and it still wasn't enough, you had a short supply, you can say, Father God, I'm walking in your will. I'm walking in your ways. I'm doing your plan. And you said right here, and see, we did that many times. Many times, because I knew I was in the will of God, and I was working with my hands, doing all that I could possibly do. And every time I had need, the need was met. So once again, was that great faith, or was that just obedience? It was simple obedience. I wasn't trying to use my faith to bail out or to get out of doing what I knew to do with my hands. I wasn't trying to do that. And then when I came back from Rainbow Bible Training Center, I came back to Ohio. Instead of preaching in the church, I painted one. Think about You talk about a humbling experience. You're going to be a preacher now, huh? No, I'm just painting churches, not preaching in them. Well, why did you do that? Because I knew that it was my responsibility to work. First thing I did was got a job. Oh, what do God people could understand that? If we want the blessings of God, financial blessings in particular, then see to it that you work with your hands to provide. If not, you're worse than an infidel. Also then be good citizens. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Also support missions. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then, of course, he said, be filled with the Holy Ghost in Ephesians 5.18. But all these things pertain to life. You begin to pursue those things. You learn about the promises of God and set out to meet the conditions. Learn the facts of God's Word and, and, and begin to, to act upon them or to pro- proclaim or, or to claim that they're yours, that they belong to you. And then you, you won't be in the area of lack of knowledge. You'll know the knowledge of God. And as you begin to walk in knowledge of God, then you'll be blessed. Next, Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. Just write it down there. You know the story. We won't repeat it. The third thing necessary to do is to persuade your heart toward God. But turn to 1 John chapter 3. Persuade your heart toward God. Number three, persuade your heart toward God. Persuade your heart toward God. You found out the knowledge of God. You know what belongs to you. You know what your rights are. You know what your privileges are. But now you've got to persuade your heart toward God. You've got to be convinced inside your spirit, man. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. He was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Did he get there overnight? No. Just go back and look at his life. People give up too soon. He wasn't persuaded from the beginning. 
I mean, they began to laugh about it from the very beginning. He doubted God from the very beginning. But what did he have to do? He had to have his heart persuaded toward God. How do you persuade your heart toward God? Well, I'm glad you asked. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth. I want to know I'm of the truth, don't you? And shall assure our hearts before Him. And shall persuade our hearts before Him. Persuade our hearts before Him. In other words, if we will follow the Scriptures there, walk in love, that's what He's talking about, and practice the love walk, it will have an effect upon our inward man that will cause us to be persuaded toward God. You ever notice that when you're in disobedience and you walk out of the realm of love, that you're not confident toward God or persuaded to act upon the Word of God? And it's almost as if you want to back away from it because you know you've done wrong and you're having a lack of confidence and you're not persuaded to step out and act upon the Word of God because you don't know that you're going to get the benefit that you're looking for? Well, there's a remedy for that. Just go back to the love walk and say, I'm going to walk in the love of God. I am not going to shut up my bowels of mercy. I am not going to lose my first love. I am going to demonstrate a walk in the realm of love, demonstrate love to this world around me. I'm going to show forth love, open up my heart, and give out of my heart in love unto all people, those that are around me. I refuse to have this affect my heart in a negative way. That is not walking in the realm of love. And so as you say, I'm going to do it, it begins to persuade your heart toward God once again. It's building up confidence in yourself, in your relationship with your God. It has an effect upon your inward man. I know Him in whom I believe. I'm fully persuaded that what He said He will perform. I know Him. And why will He do it for me? Because I walk in His commandments. I keep His judgments. It's the effect that it has upon your heart. You can't help but to lose out in the Spirit when you walk away from the things of God. When you willfully disobey God. Something is is removed from you on the inside. You lose some of that confidence. You lose some of that that. That fortitude you have on the inside, you lose something in there. But once you turn that thing around and you begin to walk in light of the love of God, you begin to have your heart to be persuaded toward God again. Your confidence is built up. Hereby we know that we're of the truth. We shall assure persuade our hearts before Him. If, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments. See, once again, how these are interrelated. We keep His commandments. We walk in the light of it. Now, Father God, I'm doing what You said to do. Now, You said You'd bless me this way, and I believe I received that blessing now. So, it's talking about confirmation. We're of the truth. Talking about assurance. We have a pure heart before God. Talking about freedom from condemnation. There's no more guilt and condemnation because we're walking in the love of God. Talks about faith. Or, or, or confidence or being fully persuaded toward God because our heart is pure right now and talks about answers to our prayers. That's how we have reality with God. Answers to our prayers. Our prayers are being answered. They're not just statements that we are making without answers. We're experiencing reality with God. And then we can say it this way in James one twenty two. Once you have persuaded your heart toward God, just be a doer of the word. Just be a doer. You find out what the Word says do now and your heart is persuaded. Be a doer of the Word. Just do what it said do. Do what the Word said to do in these areas of your life that you have need. And if you will do what He said to do, then you stand there boldly and you say to the Father God, I have done what you've asked me to do. Why is it that so many feel this is arrogance? So many feel as though this is a, this is a wrong treatment of God. That you're putting Him in a box. You're hemming Him in and, and making Him do what you want Him to do. No, beloved. Remember what we're, the, our perspective. How we're supposed to see things. He made the promise. I didn't. You didn't. He made the promise. I made the promise to my son. He didn't ask me to make it. I made it as an act of my will. I want to honor it. And that's why I made it. The Father wants to honor His Word. That's why He makes the promise. It's my responsibility to find out the promise, have my heart persuaded, and then because I'm walking in His will, doing what He said do, I'm meeting the conditions, I have a right to expect Him to honor it, to claim that He'll do it. And that's not putting God in a box. And that's not being arrogant. That's knowing God and being fully persuaded. And then finally, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, we'll close it right there. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. 
we talked about patience. If a lack of patience, of course, will prevent us from experiencing reality with God in these areas of promise and statements of fact, then it should be obvious the opposite of that is also true. If we will be built up in patience, if we will allow patience to have her perfect work in us, then our patience will work to undergird our faith to see to it that the things that belong to us become realities in our lives. Hebrews 6, verse 12 says, Be not slothful. Now notice this. There's a condition. Nowhere in the Bible is a person rewarded for laziness. Isn't that true? God does not reward laziness with blessings. Be not slothful, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the what? See, we're talking about the promise of God, the promises of God. They are realized in our lives through the forces of faith and patience. And also we saw love. They are interrelated. They all work together. But patience has its place. If we want to experience the blessings of God in reality, then we must do something about being constant or being stable. And I want to use this illustration. When Peter walked out on the water, got out of the boat, he began to operate in faith. He was not looking at the circumstances or the situation around him. He was walking on the water. When he got his eyes off of the Word and began to look at the circumstances, he began to change. That's called a lack of patience. There was no patience there. He was not stable. He didn't stay firmly fixed in his thinking or in his heart attitude. Patience means that very thing. I am unchanging. What's the difference? And if you're out there walking on the water, what's the difference if the wind starts blowing or that you recognize now the wind is blowing? There's no difference. He's still walking out on the water. How many of you know you can't walk on water whether the wind's blowing or not? How many of you know that? Can you say amen? I mean, you know that? So when he began in faith, think about it. He was already out there walking on the water, experiencing a miracle. His faith was in operation, but the enemy came along and he knew that in, in just time, give it a little bit of time, he'll be distracted. This is so important. Here's a major reason why many who are sincere with God, who love God, who keep His commandments, who, who have the, the knowledge of the truth, and... They are persuaded to act upon the Word of God apart from their sense reasoning and physical evidences. When they get out of that boat, begin to walk on the water because the enemy knows they're operating in a realm with which they are not real familiar. He knows it's like going into exploring outer space. Man goes out a little bit, there's a whole lot out there, and he comes back because he only got too far. He, he, he fears not coming back. Same thing is true here. You believed you received that healing for about 30 hours. But then when it wasn't gone then, you had to do something else. Because there was fear in operating in that realm. He knows that we are bound up by our five physical senses. He knows that we are hemmed in by our human reasonings. So he says, okay, they're in faith now. Just give it time. And then, slowly but surely, he begins to test our faith. To cause distractions to come our way. To get us off of the word and back on the circumstances. Or back into human reasoning. If we don't learn this truth, we must develop in this area of patience. Being constant. Being stable. Being the same way. Unchanging. Whether the circumstances are favorable or unfavorable. And if we'll grow in that, we have this to look forward to. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 2, 3 and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. When your faith is tried, it will begin to work patience. Patience will begin to develop in our lives. When our faith is what? 
See, many have the idea that once I step out of the boat and begin to operate in faith, my faith's not going to be tried. Well, how can it be tried beforehand? Because you're not acting in faith beforehand. But the moment you get out of the boat and act in faith, you're operating in a realm that the devil's familiar with. Now, notice this. Your faith antenna shoots up and he sees it. And so what he is going to do is to come together with his emissaries. He's going to design a plan of attack to see to it that he can destroy your faith life, to get you to walk away from the word. So he says, look, brothers, count it joy. Count it joy. Holy delight. The joy of the Lord is your fortified place. Count it joy. Command it to be a joyful thing. Is a good way to say it. When your faith is tested and tried. Why? Knowing this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. See, if you didn't know that, you couldn't count it joy. Get a hold of this, please. Every time our faith is tried, what we should be saying is this. I count it joy. I command it to be a holy delight, joyful delight in my life right now. Because I know this. Well, what do you know? Have you got some inside information? Yes, I do. I know this. The trying of my faith is a way for me to develop in stability. Being constant. Unchanging. So when that test comes, I know it's my opportunity to develop patience in my life. And so I count it joyful. Holy delight. Then allow patience to have her perfect work in verse 4. Now, notice this, the perfect work of, of, of patience. When patience is fully developed in the life of the child of God, it makes you perfect or spiritually mature and entire. Everybody say entire. The word entire there means complete. It means whole. It means every part or every grace that is present in Christ is manifested in you. See, we've looked for a way to develop this in our lives, but we failed to find it. Here, it is revealed to us. It's revealed right to us. If we want all the different graces that are represented in the Lord Jesus, every grace in Christ that is present in Christ manifested in us, then we must allow patience to have her perfect work in our lives. Because, you see, circumstances change. And if we fluctuate with the circumstances then we're just going to be going back and forth as a double-minded person. But if we say, you know what, it's time that I become stable. Everybody say stable. stable. Stability, unchanging, unmo- without moving, firmly fixed and planted and rooted and grounded. In other words, something favorable comes, we're, we're excited about it, and something unfavorable comes and we're down in the dumps about it. See, God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be stable, constant, without change. It doesn't matter what comes. I'm not changing. I'm going to stay the same way. It'll work patience. The trying of your faith works patience. Patience, with its perfect work in us, will cause us to be perfect and entire, spiritually mature, and operating in the the fullness of the grace of God in our lives, which is His power of operation. Wanting nothing. Didn't say needing nothing. Said wanting nothing. There's a difference between want and a need, isn't there? Can you imagine if all your needs were just met? What about all your if all your wants were met? I mean, that's above all you can ask or think, isn't it? If our needs were met, we'd be totally satisfied, wouldn't we? But he says, no, you'll be wanting nothing. Not even a want. Because you'll be operating in these principles to such a degree that he'll fulfill all your needs and wants. Amen. Well, here's one way to do it, and I'll just close it by making this statement. That if you're having a difficult time developing patience in your life, then learn this little secret. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will exchange strengths with Him. See to it. That whenever you step out of the boat and begin to operate in the principles of faith in God's Word, and your faith is tested and tried... Realize the importance of waiting upon the Lord to exchange strengths so that you can truly operate not in your own ability or strength, but in His. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. 
I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.